turn to, uh, turn to uh, God's word, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. As we tackle today and continue our Life Together series about this whole concept of loving the world. And uh, as I began to study this passage, um, I realized very quickly that this is an issue that a lot of us as Christians uh, wrestle with. And so I I decided to turn it into a two-part series um, in which the first part will answer, look at two questions and answer that, and then the other part will look at two additional questions and answer that, and then we'll continue along our merry way. Now, this first part is looking at Um, What are all the ways externally that impact our love for Jesus? That's the flow of what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, He starts off by telling us about the love command and and the fact that because we've been loved by Christ, we now have to show that love. And so now he moved into a, a season where he's talking about the threats to that. One threat is external, the world. Another threat he's going to look at, look at is the Antichrist, and we're going to do that about two weeks from now. But for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the external threat that the world poses on the church and on our life together and on our ability to love one another well and be faithful to the command um, and the exhortation for us to love one another. So that's what we're going to do, and this is part one of part two. So hear now the word of God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you indeed for your word, and we thank you for what your word does to us. It stirs our affections It reminds us of who we are in you, but it also reminds us of what we are called to do and our mission. And so, Father, help us to be on mission. Help us to get a full appreciation of who we are in the gospel, but at the same time, help us to always have an appreciation of what you have called us to do. And I pray that that comes through even today. Lord, bless your people. We need you. We can do nothing apart from you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit even to listen to your word. So often we get distracted and our hearts begin uh, to wander. In fact, as the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And because our hearts are in tuned to wander, help us to not have wandering hearts and wandering minds today. But Lord, sovereignly come. And help us to listen, not because they're my words, but because they're your words. And these words give life. And I pray that they do even today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
um, when I became a Christian, um, one of the first things that I kept hearing over and over again is people telling me, Dennis, you have to guard your heart against worldliness. You don't want to be worldly, Dennis. You don't want to be like, uh, you know, those out there who say that they're Christians, but then they act according to the world. In fact, one statement that I kept hearing over and over again is we need to be in the world, but not of the world. And so I'm like, okay, I want to be faithful to that command, but what does that even mean to be worldly? I mean, how, how much of the world do I need to love before I hit that tipping point of being worldly? And moreover than that, what, what does even loving the world look like? How do I know that I'm not currently doing that? And so actually, I had more questions than answers. Because as a Christian, I wanted to be faithful to what um, God uh, is calling me to do, but I also didn't want to be of the world. Incidentally, how many of you have heard of that statement, be in the world but not of the world? Now, I can't see you out there. Some of you probably raised your hands, and one, one or two people here did. But of course, we've heard that. But what does that mean? Well, I think John gives us a roadmap for what that means in this passage. And so what we're going to do for the next two weeks is we're going to look at that phrase, that statement, be in the world but not of the world, and then look at how we can be faithful to what, uh, if, be faithful to what God is calling us to do in light of that. Because as Christians, we need to be sensitive about how we're interacting with the world and making sure that we are interacting with the world in a way, and our culture in a way that God was have us to. So I want to ask, I want to um, ask and answer four questions. Here are the four questions. Remember, we're only going to deal with two, but here are the four. The first one is, what does it mean to love not the world? Second of all, why shouldn't I love the world? Third, how do we prevent ourselves from loving the world? And four, what should I love instead? So just this morning, we're going to look at what does it mean to love not the world? And number two, the reasons why we shouldn't love the world that John gives. So let's dive right in. First of all, what does it mean to love not the world? Well, look at verse number 15. John just lays it out there. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, before, we, before I tell you what John does mean by loving the world and why we shouldn't do it, I want to tell you what he doesn't mean. Because sometimes for you to understand what something is, you have to understand what it's not. Okay? So what does John not mean by loving the world? Well, the first thing is that John doesn't mean or isn't talking about the people that are in the world. So by world, John isn't saying don't love the people in the world. In fact, the Bible tells us that God actually loves the people in the world. John 3 and 16, a verse that most of us have memorized even from a little child, where, where it says, for God so loved the world, in other words, the sinful people in the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the sinner. And because God loves the sinner, in that sense, God loves the world. I remember reading a story uh, recently of a pastor. He said well, he went into a new job, and he had several jobs before he got into the pastorate. And before he came on the job, he was told about Bubba. And Bubba was this atheist 
that worked there that was a militant atheist. And, and Bubba wanted to have nothing to do with Christianity because Bubba had been told all his life that if you are a bad person, you went to hell. And if you are a good person, you went to heaven. And so this pastor said he came on the job, and they warned him about Bubba. And sure enough, he had his first shift with Bubba. And as Bubba was, uh, he and Bubba was talking, Bubba said, listen, I don't want to, I'm an atheist. I don't want to hear anything about Christianity because I'm tired of people saying that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. And this pastor looked at him and he says, well, actually, that's not the gospel. The gospel is bad people go to heaven and good people go to hell. And it completely threw him for a loop. Because no one had ever told him in his entire life that God loves the bad people and are interested in saving the bad people and that all of us were bad, all of us were deserving of hell. But because God so loved us, he plucked us from hell. And beloved, that's the message of Scripture. That's the message of Scripture, that God loves the sinner. God is enamored with the sinner, and God goes out of his way to save the sinner. And so we should have that same love. In fact, this is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When he talks about, when he talks to the church in Corinth, and he tells them, listen, when I told you not to hang out with the sexually immoral of this world, I don't mean the sinners, right? I don't mean the people around you, lest we would have to go out of the world, no, of course we have to interact with the sinner. And by the way, if we hate the sinner, if we don't like the sinner, if we despise the sinner, how are we supposed to tell them about Christ? And so, of course, the scripture is not uh, by world here. John isn't talking about the sinful world, the sinful humanity. That's the people that Jesus came to save. Jesus said, I didn't come uh, for those that are, that are healthy. I came for those that are sick, that are in need of the gospel. And that's why he prayed and asked the Father to keep us in the world so that we might carry on the mission that he started. So first of all, by world, John is not talking about sinful humanity. All of us should love sinful humanity and pray for them and seek to bring them into the kingdom. Now, second of all, by world, John is not talking about the physical creation. He's not talking about the physical, um, the physical creation. In fact, the command for us as God's people to exercise dominion over the physical creation shows God's ongoing love and concern for his creation. In Genesis 1.31, God says, listen, he looked at all of his physical creation. He says, it is good. And by the way, even though it is cursed from the fall, God's creation is still good. He still wants us to exercise dominion over his creation. In fact, Christians should be the one who care about the environment the most. Why? Because we have a commandment to that we ought to uh, exercise dominion over the physical creation. We have a vested interest in this creation. Now, some bad theology has forced us to, to jettison that, right? Because we believe that this world's going to burn up and, and be destroyed, that means for some of us, oh, we shouldn't have anything to do with this creation and keeping it um, because God's going to burn it up and destroy it. Well, what does that do with the commandment for us to continue to exercise dominion over it? Does that mean we not cut the grass? 
Does that mean we not take care of, uh, to provide clean drinking water and air pollution and, and decrease air pollution and all that? Of course it doesn't mean that. We still have to exercise dominion over the world. Why? Because God still loves his physical creation. So when John says, do not love the world, he's not talking about sinful people. And he's not talking about the physical creation. God still wants us to love that. So, now we get to the matter at hand. What does it mean when John says, do not love the world? Here's what it means. John is talking about not desiring the world systems. These untamed desires that produce arrogance and attitudes toward God that are unhealthy or sinful. These structures that are designed by our world to to oppose God and to oppose the mission of the church. Now, some of you are listening to this and said, Pastor, wait a minute. You're not being specific enough. Does that mean I shouldn't go to the movies? Does that mean I shouldn't go to Disney World? Does that mean I should stop drinking bourbon? Um, well, here's, here's my answer to that. Of course it doesn't mean that. Of course it doesn't. I wish I could see the collective sigh of relief out there. Like, whoo, oh, yeah. Man, I thought we'd have to get rid of pastor if he said that. No, 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 calm down. Of course it doesn't mean that. Of course. God wants you to go on a hike. God wants you to go and enjoy his physical creation. He wants you to do that. But, but here's the thing. What John is actually calling us to is actually more difficult than just restricting ourselves from the world. He said, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, listen, it's easy to be an aesthetic. In fact, you can go... And you can um, get away from the world and live in a cabin, right, and have nothing to do with the world. That's actually an easy thing to do. It's easy to not be caught up in the trappings of this world. I, I'm not on social media, so you know what? It's easy for me to not be on social media and not fall into the trap of being in social media. For some of us, it's easy for us not to go to the movies or drink alcohol or do those things because we have no desire for them. That's the easy thing. But that's not what God is calling us to when he says, do not love the world. What God is calling us to is much more intrusive than that. He is calling us as his people to not find our hope, our security, and our well-being in the world. You see, if we go into the world looking to be fulfilled by the world, that is what John is saying by loving the world. When we go to Disney World, we should already be filled with the joy and the excitement with the Lord so that we can appreciate Disney World in its proper place. John is saying that if we go to Disney World looking to be fulfilled and validated, then we are loving the world. We shouldn't find our contentment and our joy and our happiness in the world. We should find it in Christ. And whatever we, whatever we find our joy and happiness and fulfillment and contentment with, that's what we love. This comes out really clearly in Paul's uh, statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, when Paul said that Demas left for Thessalonica because he loved this present world. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, listen, we don't know that much about Demas in uh, the Bible, but we know a lot about Thess Thessalonica. And what we know about Thessalonica is that it was a free city, meaning they had their independence, 
They, they can govern themselves. We know that it was a populous city. There was much to do and partake of. We know that it was a wealthy city, meaning that there was a lot of income flowing around and people can have a good life. We also know that it was filled with religious pluralism, meaning, you know, as a Christian, you can go in and get lost in the crowd. And what Paul was saying was this. Demas, when he was with Paul, suffered hardship as a result of the gospel. He was ostracized as a result of his beliefs in the gospel. And he had hit a point in his life where being with Paul and being a part of the Christian community no longer fulfilled him. He no longer found joy and excitement in the things of the Lord. He no longer was looking for Christ as his hope. And he became disenchanted with being a Christian and ministering to Paul. And so because of that, he went back home. He went back to his home in Thessalonica. Because in Thessalonica, he could find all that he was looking for. His joy, his security, his fulfillment, all of that in Thessalonica. And Paul says he loved that more than he loved being with us. And so for us, it's what we find our joy and contentment in. Demas found it in Thessalonica. And that's a warning for us as believers. Listen, when, when John is telling us, do not love the world, he's reminding us of where our heart and our love should be. It should be with Christ, not with the things that he's given us. When we go out into the world, beloved, we should already be filled we should already have the joy of the Lord as our strength as we go in. And we don't need the world to validate us or tell us who we are or even find any fulfillment in that. That's what John is calling us to. So, all right, what does it mean? Well, it means that we find our joy and our hope in Christ and not in the things of the world. We are free to enjoy all that God has given us because they come from a wonderful heavenly father, but we are not free to find our hope and contentment in the things of the world. Now, let's move on. Why shouldn't I love the world? In other words, what rationale did John give for us uh, to not love the world? Well, it's found in this text. So notice the text before us, and there are five things I want to point out. First of all, John says we shouldn't love the world, and it actually harkens back to what he's already said. So we shouldn't love the world, number one, because of the love commandment. If you go back to verse number seven down through verse number 11, we see John saying, I'm writing this new commandment to you. And what is the essence of this new commandment? The essence of this new commandment is that we love one another. So here's what John is saying. John is saying that the call for us to love one another supersedes our love for the world. In fact, we cannot do both. One is going to crowd out the other. If we are busy giving ourselves over to loving our brother and sister in Christ, if we have given ourselves over to, to, to ministering to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will have no time to be in the world and being satisfied by the world. We will have no time because the Bible tells us no man can serve two masters. Loving one another is an all-encompassing task, and we can't share that task with anything or anyone else. And so the first reason why we shouldn't love the world that God, John gives, because we have a command to love something else, each other, and to do it passionately. Now the second thing is, why shouldn't we love the world? Because of our identity. Notice with me in verse number 7, 
of chapter 2, John calls us the beloved. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. Because we are the beloved, and God so loved us. But notice with me in verse 12 through 14, where he talks about us being little children that have been forgiven, and fathers knowing um, him from the beginning, and young men being strong and overcoming evil, and also us being overcomers because of who we are in Christ. We ought not to love the world. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we look in the Bible and we see an imperative, we have to go back and find the indicative. You say, Pastor, well, what do you mean by that? If God is calling us to do something, it is always grounded in who we are. Before the Lord gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, he reminded them, listen, you are the ones that have been set free from bondage. And because you've been set free from bondage, here is what you have to do. And God is telling us the same thing. Because we are the beloved, because we have been profoundly loved by him, and because we are overcomers and conquerors, we should not love the world. Why? Because the world threatens our status in Christ. If you are wrapped up and enamored with the things of this life, you, can, you, you cannot be the beloved, right? You cannot be those that are overcomers because the world will distract you and take you away from Christ. So that's the second thing. First thing is we have a love commandment, and that is to love each other. We don't have time for the world. Secondly, because of our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, because we are the beloved, we should not love the world. Here's the third thing. Because the world dulls our affection toward God. The world dulls our affection toward God. Notice with me in verse number 15. John says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is John saying there? Well, John is saying that, listen, when we love this world, it crowds, our, it crowds out or dulls our ability not only to be loved by the Father and to sense that, but also to love the Father back. An excellent example of, of this phenomenon is this. I, I have horrible allergies. In fact, this, this year, um, ever since I moved down here, it's been particularly bad. And uh, the only upside about having uh, horrible allergies, at least for me, is when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I sound like Barry White, you know? Can't get enough of your love, baby. Anyway. Um, but, 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 but anyway, that's, that's, that's probably the only upside. Other than that, though, other than that, there is massive downside. I mean, my eyes get puffy. I, I could barely see out of my eyes. Um, my ears get stuffed up, my nose, I, I can't smell, and it even messes with my taste buds. Foods doesn't taste the same. And so the, here's the point that I'm making. Allergies dull my senses to the world. It, it makes me frustrated and angry because I cannot sense and experience the world the way God would have me to do. Well, the same thing is true when you and I engage in the world and begin to sin. It dulls our senses and affection toward God to where we cannot receive God and we cannot understand the things that God is trying to do and how he wants us to love him and to love others. In the same way, allergy and pollen messes with my senses. Sin and the world messes with our senses with God. And it profoundly changes the way we view God. It profoundly changes the way we interact with God. 
And so the Bible cautions us and warns us, do not love the world. If anyone is loving the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We, we cannot see how God is working in our lives and how we should work in others. We're not manifesting this love for God because the world severely dulls our senses to that. And sin, by and large, does the same thing. It destroys our ability to know and to see God. Now, here's the fourth thing that I want to show you. Because the things of this world, John says, are not of God. This is the fourth reason why we should not love the world. Uh, because the things of the world are not from God. Notice with me in verse number 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's from the world. Now, James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, which means all those things that come from God are the things that we ought to have, and all the things that come from the world are things we ought not to have. And so John is saying, look, we ought not to love the world. Why? Because the, the things of the world are not from God, which means they're not worth having. They're not worth having because they're not from the Father who gives those gifts. And those are the things that will ultimately destroy us, the things of this world. And so John is warning us, do not become wrapped up in that for that reason. Here's the fifth and final thing. Because the world is transient. Because the world is transient. Notice with me in verse number 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I want you to see that word passing away. That word passing away kind of has the idea that God is the one that's actively working to destroy the things of this world, as characterized by the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, you think about that for a moment. Here's what John is saying. John is saying that the very things, the very things that are threatening to destroy you, the very things that are threatening to destroy your identity in Christ, the very things that are threatening to steal away your joy from being a Christian are the very things that God is actively working to destroy and to destroy completely because it will destroy you. Isn't that a blessing? That the things in this world right now that we fear the most, that cause us to sin, so many of us are underneath the power of this world, whether it be engaging in pornography, whether it be engaging in substance abuse, whether it be engaging in sinful behavior and activities, or just the frustration and anger that comes about in this world. God says, listen, I am actively working to destroy those things so you no longer could be in the presence of sin, under the power of sin, and under the penalty of sin. Amen. That's what our Lord does. He's not a bystander in heaven watching you suffer. He's saying right now as we speak, I am destroying this world so that you can be delivered. Last week, we looked at the resurrection. One aspect of the resurrection that we looked at is when Christ was on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. 
And we talked about how that statement meant that our salvation on the cross was secured because the work of redemption had been finished. And amen to that. But there's something else that that phrase, it is finished, means. And it means this, that on the cross, that was God's showcase. God is showing us clearly for the world to see that not only is he dealing with our sin, but he's dealing to destroy the world, the flesh, and the devil as well. That the cross not only means that you and I are forgiven and set free, but the things that keep us in bondage, God is actively working to destroy them. That's what the cross means. That's what it is finished means. And as we read this passage, and as we even look to next week, I want you to keep this in mind. That even though you feel like the world has you in its grips, and even though you feel as if there are sin patterns in your life you cannot seem to get past, because it always seems that you're constantly in a circle, uh, going in them and coming out, going in them and coming out, and you can never be free. I want to assure you that freedom is coming in its fullest sense of the word. Because everything that is keeping you in bondage is passing away. God is actively destroying it. And he is working his purposes out in you. So continue the fight. Continue on. Continue persevering. This world is not our home, and this world will not destroy you. God has gone to make a place for you so that you could be free. But even in this life, we can rest in the freedom of Christ because he is destroying those things that is destroying you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that this world... You have clearly told us that we ought not to engage in it. And by that you mean, let us not find our comfort and hope in the things in this world. But instead, Father, as your word clearly reminds us, that we as your people ought never, ought never to rest in this world. We ought to rest in you. Why? Because you are actively destroying it. Those things that destroy us, you are destroying them. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that not only is our sin secured in heaven, but right now you are actively working to destroy the world, the flesh, and the devil. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.